Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to this podcast, Textile Talk. I'm Gail Cowley and I'll be your host today and joining me is one of the School of Stitch Textiles assessors, Debbie Jarvis, who has kindly agreed to come on to the show and share with us the inside track on what it's like to be an assessor with us. And um, I'm absolutely delighted to have you join us, Debbie. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You. It'll be great to have your view on what it's like to be a tutor here at SST and other things, of course. So I suppose the first thing that I'd like to do is just ask you to tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in crafts. I think it's it's sort of pretty much the same with uh, everybody. I think their journey to crafts is quite a long one. I think when I was uh, younger, we did the usual things at school. You know, there was the little uh, cross-stitch sampler. Mm. And then we made a felt toy, which <clears throat> I remember quite distinctly making a felt mouse. Mm. So, And I have no idea where that is now. I may have to speak to my mother about that. But, <laughs> You, you have sort of these images in your head when you're younger. And I think because I went down the academic route, because I went to a grammar school, they were very focused on, I think, high achievers. So in the art class, I wasn't particularly competent because I couldn't draw a, um, oh gosh, what was it called? Elizabethan rough. Oh. And I remember quite distinctly everybody in the class looking as if to say, well, I don't think we can either. <laughs> but... That's how quite, the teacher segregated us. <laughs> it sounds quite a complicated thing to start on, it to be honest. It was awful. I have no idea what this woman was thinking, but they were very much, it was an all-girls school, and it was, uh, It's. I don't know, it's a bit, you know, prime of Miss Jean, Brody sort of thing. Mm. They were very, they were all Miss, and I, I'm not sure how experienced they were with reality. So. Yeah. This Elizabethan Ruff stayed with me for a long time because she was incredibly negative. And I mean, you can imagine the detail on it. I think we were working from some masterpiece picture. So that put me off art. Mm. And then I remember pottery. Um, the teacher said I was very clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> that was another disappointing experience. So I spent most of the pottery classes making pug, um, which was actually quite exciting working on that machine. So... Mm. And then the sewing tutor, again, uh, I do remember her quite distinctly, was quite uh, rude. We had to make this awful nighty, I remember, and thinking, well, sewing's not for me either. Mm. So interesting um, how you go down the academic route. And obviously, I veered off into uh, you know, bookkeeping, payroll and accounting. And then there's obviously a, a lure somewhere there. So in the 80s, when um, I think things became much more accessible, there was a massive surge and a revival for crafts. I think we'd started importing quite a lot of stuff from abroad mm. and uh, especially American. So um, crafts and things like that were becoming more accessible. So I remember knitting quite a lot of jumpers that I do still have and do still fit strangely. <laughs> and they're... they're um, there were lots of different wools and materials that came out. And I think there were more books. And yeah. obviously, uh, my mum knitted out of necessity. 
because there were um, four children. And she did so uh, when we were younger, but it was a hand-cranked uh, singer machine. Mm. But my nan was quite a big influence in being creative because her uh, business was making wreaths, Christmas wreaths. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So most of the year, my nan didn't do very much, or it appeared to me that she didn't do very much. She was obviously quite busy and worked. But... Mm. The run up to Christmas from sort of September onwards, uh, we would go mossing, uh, she would buy holly, uh, she would buy berry, we would go to the uh, wholesalers and she would make wreaths through from about the end of October, uh, right up until Christmas Eve and she would sell them to the local area. So I, th I think crafts has been that sort of route for me. It wasn't really a distinct choice, it was just a development. And then mm -hmm. obviously when you get more free time, once the kids are older and things like that. I did make dresses for the girls because they were, uh, dresses are nice to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two pieces, you yeah. sew them together and watch <laughs> your uncle. They're lovely. But, um, and then I did think, I think I saw in a magazine about putting them together using like your old kids' clothes to make quilts. So I have made a couple of those. Mm -hmm. So I think it was sort of a slow burn through. But I think when I, uh, when we moved out to Saudi, I had so much free time. I just thought, no, I have to just pick back up. And that was essentially where it developed from. Yeah. So I thought much more interesting than accounting. Although <laughs> what I have noticed is that with accounting, at least there's a right and a wrong answer. <laughs> yes. Not <laughs> quite the same. In no, sometimes you have to make it up as you go along, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so through all of that, do you have a, a favourite technique, one that really stands oh, out for you? Gosh, you know, the, the, I, re I thought about this and I really struggle with this because my husband calls me a butterfly because I sort of flip from thing to thing. So one week I'll be like completely passionate about one thing. And then the following week I've seen something. I'm like, oh, I have to do that. Mm. I think it is incredibly difficult because there's so many things, so many methods, so many techniques. At the moment, I am, I, I have to admit, I bought an embroidery machine. Oh, you got I, one? <laughs> yeah, I did. I bought a small one and then I felt that it was limiting my uh, creativity. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so I, I that argument myself. bought a bigger one. <laughs> so, and I'm I'm absolutely loving it. And at the moment, I know this is this is just it's almost like fast food for uh crafts. I think that's how I'm going to think about it. I have been uh embroidering Christmas decorations, which I think goes back to that anticipation of build up a Christmas that I had as a kid. Isn't it when my nan did the wreaths? Yeah. Because it's it was so yeah. immersive. Yeah, and things loop, don't they? Yeah. Um, Christmas is one of those things that always amazes me how quickly it comes round. Yep. And particularly if you're crafting, because you need to be a long way ahead. I mean, yep. nobody wants a Christmas socking kit on Christmas Eve, do they? Yep. <laughs> so you do need to be planning quite some way ahead. It sounds as though you have, though. Oh, I have been having so much fun. And one of the things that I really, and this is just, I mean, it is really quite childish, I suppose. But <laughs> I think that is what is appealing to me. It brings back that that sort of um, naivety, maybe, yeah. is I wanted to make uh, snow globe Christmas tree decorations, but I wanted them to be able to have like glitter and things in them. Mm. So I, I have had to, I have been forced to sit on the internet and research <laughs> Yes. And yeah. I finally cracked it yesterday because the ones that I'd done previously, 
the machine embroidery was sort of perforating the edges so the vinyl would peel away i see so they're flat yes okay. so yeah. they are flat mm. so it's it's sort of a you know just a, a 2d and inside so you've got fabric at the back and then there's some quilting and then mm. You put vinyl on the front, and I have some glitter vinyl, which is quite exciting. But <laughs> it's so it's so silly, but it is just so so much fun to make. I think we all need something as a distraction, don't we? So yes. let's finish quickly, actually, because yes. we, we can't all maintaining your um, enthusiasm uh, through long projects. If every yeah. project was that long, would be really difficult. You need yeah. a sort of a quick fix, I think. It is. It, it is almost you have sort of long term um, projects going on that require sort of an application where you have to really get into the zone. And we're not always ready to do that. Mm -hmm. So the little quick fixes uh, sort of, as I said to my husband the other day, because we'd had a busy couple of days, I haven't made anything in two days. I feel wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's quite a good tip for students as well, isn't yeah. it? That you know, not everything has to be a, 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 a long project. Sometimes it's just great to get that that really fast fix of having done something mm. quickly and just see an end result. Yeah. And you're still learning because obviously with mm. all these, I mean, I've never done machine embroidery before. I've, I've looked at them and thought, my goodness, they're good. But <laughs> it's never something that I considered doing because I, I think there's a part of me that felt it was cheating. Mm. And there still is a part of me that feels I'm cheating <laughs> because it hasn't taken me very long. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stages involved in each of these things, but the output is like, oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, personally, I really like a mix of the two. I think machine embroidery is incredibly useful for um for actually filling in backgrounds really quickly. Yep. Yep. But hand embroidery is really nice for texture, isn't it? It is. And that is, I think, where I was originally intending on going. It was to combine um, sewing mm. that I obviously love and quilting techniques and things like that with mm. other mediums that give me that sort of element, a quick fix. Because a lot of the things that you can make in a, a, a hoop as such, just they don't have the, the finish that I would like. A lot of the corners. I mean, I find myself critiquing every machine embroidery pattern I look at, like, oh, they didn't turn those corners. They didn't clip their edges. They should have clipped those seams. So I think I can see potential in um, getting some designs, running them through the machine and then finishing them the way that I want them finished. Yes, I, I think um, it's interesting, really, isn't it? Because all crafts are one of those things that you can you can absolutely do them um, as you say with unfinished edges and and, yep. and whatnot, but you need a little bit of knowledge to know how to um, make them properly. Yes. Once you've got that knowledge, you can always shortcut it, mm -hmm. but it's hard if you don't start with that, which I think yep. is perhaps where a more organised course, be that you know an online course or be that. Um, uh, one that you attend comes in you can get that knowledge and then once you have it you can decide to <laughs> jettison it if you need to um, or come up with something different but you've got that basic there I always say that with cooking I've a bit of a mm. it's a standard joke uh, with my husband I'll follow the recipe the first time then but then after that I will be interpreting it 
<laughs> based on what's in the house. Absolutely. What happens to be in the fridge that needs using Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the same with um, any course that you do. I mean, I have been looking for a course, but yesterday, strangely enough, we were doing the group support session and I was showing the um, students, you know, keywords to search uh, on the internet. Hmm. And we came up with this lady who does machine embroidery. And whilst we were there, I went, oh, I haven't seen this before. Hang on. <laughs> I've just got to click that. <laughs> and this, this woman does the most stunning uh, machine embroideries. And she takes all her own designs and she works through them. And mm. one of the designs that she'd done was it was 160 hours or something ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I'm but, sure. But she had uh, machine designed and machine embroidered all the way over the back of um, a piece of fabric. And it was just stunning. Mm. So there is scope for it becoming not just a quick fix, not fast food. There is scope for me developing it. I just need to get to grips with the machine. And then I'm going to look at doing some um, digitizing. I mm. think it's the next step. I always think when I um, when I look at students' work as well that some of the most interesting um, pieces, be they samples or be they completed pieces, are the ones that are sort of developed halfway between one craft and the other. Yep. So, you know, as we were just talking about with the mixing machine and hand embroidery, but there's some wonderful places there where you get an overlap from one, an overlap from the other, and mm. some real innovation going on in the middle, don't you? I think that's also the, the, the struggle that students have in choosing what course that they want to do, mm. simply because, you know, if you love hand embroidery, but you also like machine embroidery and you like sewing and there's an element of quilting and you like using felt and you're just, it, it, you almost get to the stage where you're just not quite sure because that's one of the questions that they ask quite a lot. You know, I can't decide which um, material to sort of focus on. But, yeah. but that is what happens. You do get to the stage where so many of them overlap. And we, we do it, you know, I do it in my craft room, which is currently a nightmare. I have <laughs> loads of different bits of crafts. You know, I have like an embroidery box, there's flosses, and then there's machine embroidery, there's felt. There's, there's just mm -hmm. all sorts of things. But, but doing courses opens your um, mind two different uh, methods and using them in different ways and thinking about combining them. So okay. I, I, th I think it is it's good to have the structure of this is what I have to do, but this is how I'm going to interpret it. I've, I've actually just been doing a, an introduction to one of our new cohorts um, mm -hmm. this morning and I was sort of um, telling them at, at this morning just just how much um, interpretation there is you know that they, they'll start off perhaps with a basic design um, but then after that they'll be choosing their um, how how to interpret it mm. you know will they perhaps fill in all of that shape will yep. they just do the the outline of that shape um, what fabric will they use what thread will they use what yarn will they use uh, what stitch will they use there's so many choices isn't there that we make as we go through actually compiling either a finished piece or a sample Absolutely. And all of those things make it our own at the end. It's that set of choices that yeah. stamp our individuality onto something. Definitely. And I, th I think that is where the fun is. That's where you, you get into the zone. Because once you've stitched something, you, you then, as I was saying to the students yesterday, when you finished something, 
you you do the evaluation because then you think what would i do differently next time that's mm. where you're you're developing that's where you're growing you're learning to combine lots of different methods and often you'll go back to a student and say well have you thought of looking at such and such and they'll come back and they'll be like but i didn't even know this existed mm. So you Absolutely. don't always find what it is that you want. It's often just a chance comment or somebody will recommend something, which is, you know, yesterday, um, one of the students was asking, because she's struggling with monofilament, which is a devil to work oh, with, yeah. especially on the top. <laughs> and so we explained about, you know, the different ways that the thread works and something just as simple as having a conversation with your tutor or another student about that just you'll just get that one sentence and you'll be like oh hang on I don't yeah. know about that I want to know about that and how can I use it yeah absolutely sometimes I'm, I'm always interested in watching students do the same I think we do have one module in, in, in one of the courses where we suggest to them that they use the same design uh, but interpret it using um, different methods mm. and um, it's always really interesting to see how they take that exercise and really make it their own and just the difference that just changing a stitch here or a technique yep. there really makes but that's the same as the color palettes i was trying to explain color palettes because you can see what the color palette is just look at one of those colors what happens when you change that one color there how mm. does that work how does that impact what difference does that make there are so many parts of this that you can change everything that you do you can do differently you can and, and and actually that's it's both it's both worrying and inspiring oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you have this this huge choice open to you and the more you learn the bigger the choice gets yes and but it's something you have to actually sort of have have the confidence um to take that and narrow it down and make that decision and um and, and actually plump for something and go ahead and make it that is, I think that is possibly one of the most difficult things. And I think, especially I find at times, I become overwhelmed with uh, things that I want to make. So I have to take a step back from, I certainly don't want to look at Pinterest again. And um, you do almost have to take a step back. And, and that as a tutor is a big problem because then a student will submit something and you'll be like, oh, hello, I like that. <laughs> mm, yes. So you do get almost as much inspiration from the students as they feel, you know, they're getting from the course. And yeah. I do find sometimes, or somebody will mention a resource or a book or something, and I'm thinking, well, I haven't seen that. Hang on. Mm, I want to do book. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, books are the fatal ones, mm. aren't they? I have taken your tips to heart as well. I have got myself the library app, which has been a complete oh, well revelation. Done. Yeah. I think that's just, I, I, I don't think I'd thought about it myself. I'd always thought no. about sort of turning up at a library, but not about actually reading online. And there's just mm. so much out there, isn't there? Oh, my gosh. It is a, it's another one of those little rabbit holes that you go down mm. because you just can't believe that all those resources are there for nothing. And you no. just, they're so accessible. All those magazines as well. You know, I say to the students, they have got all of the, you know, the magazines, because magazines are really not yes. cheap nowadays, are they? I mean, I know we all like to, to touch things like we like our books. We like to have the books and flick through them. But I think there's an awful lot of resources out there that are incredibly underused. 
There is, and and actually, um, magazines now aren't quite as easy to get hold of as they used no. to. You know, years ago, I'm going better, back a bit now, showing my age. But you used to walk into Smiths, and you'd have yep. all of them laid out, and you could make a decision about, you know, will I actually do yeah. that project? Or do I have those things? Is it an interesting addition? Will I therefore purchase? Mm. Whereas now you just you you don't get that look. You're almost having to go for a subscription because yes. it's not available um, to buy or to look at. Well, I think there's obviously the you know the the level of sustainability and all this eco stuff. So they don't want to keep printing stuff that just doesn't sell. Mm. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't find the online magazines terribly easy to read. No, <laughs> I mean. I <laughs> It is theory is wonderful, but I tell you what the problem is is holding the either the tablet or you know mm. I still have to in bed I will read my Kindle and it will fall over when I nod off. Yes, yeah. So the, I haven't yet. I could. I have explained to my husband that what I want is something that comes down from the ceiling, that puts the <laughs> Kindle in front of my face, and then when I go to sleep, it retracts back up to the ceiling. He, <laughs> but he does just look at me as if to say, "Okay, dear." <laughs> You're not that slumped over your reader. <laughs> and his will do the same thing, but his always falls forward and hits him in the face. I suppose that would stop you actually going to sleep, wouldn't it? Yes, it does. You so you. You do wake up quite a lot but the tablet isn't particularly comfortable to you know even hold are they they're not no they're not and I, I if you really want to read something if you want to read an article then you you do need to get the text bigger and then I find yes. I'd sort of lose where I am on the page that's it yeah no I think the readers are <clears throat> a bit of an issue but you can I can also you can look at them on your um, laptop so I do have yeah. like a larger screen but you you're right you do have to um Yes, you do mm. have to. But yes, it's, it's it's great for skimming through and seeing if there's anything you might like to uh, to have a have a. Well, I think that's what you used to do in WH Smith, isn't it? <laughs> yes, you used it to is. flick through and see what caught your eye, and then you'd be like, mm, "I might have this magazine." Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the same thing on the app, isn't it? You do scroll through. Mm. No, it is. At least, as you say, you get an awful lot of choice before you actually oh, gosh, purchase yeah. anything. So yeah, so. Debbie, how do you find that teaching online is um, different to face-to-face? Because -face? I know that you've done both. Um, yeah. And um, it's one of the questions that students always ask, you know, if they haven't learned online before, they want to know how it's going to work, really. I think uh, the main, I mean, having done distance learning courses myself and taught distance learning and taught face-to-face -face and done face-to-face -face classes, I think the biggest difference is not, I think it is not having anybody to drive you in front of you. Mm. So with a distance learning course, you do have to be incredibly self-disciplined. So, um, and obviously I have an accounting background, so I am organized and disciplined although you wouldn't believe that if you look at my room <laughs> at the moment but I am very disciplined in knowing that I have to break down tasks and do them myself whereas if you're in a classroom you're following a session plan mm. so everybody is working towards sort of the same goal at the same time and what you do get in the classroom is you get that visual input yeah and I think that is often um what students struggle struggle with and especially the 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 one that i think they really do struggle with is comparability mm. and that's often not a good thing 
So in a class, you will all be doing a similar sort of thing, but you'll all be doing your own interpretation of this um, task. Mm. And I think everybody likes to look at what everybody else is doing, but not everybody is able to look at what somebody else has done and then look back at their own and feel comfortable. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, I found over the years that people will always, and I still get this in my crochet groups and my sewing groups, oh, but so-and-so's work is so much better than mine. And it's like, well, it isn't better, it's different. Yeah. And I think students often confuse different with better. And I always say to them, you know, if you're looking online where your majority of research is going to come from, they're only showing you what they want you to see. Mm. And I think in a classroom, everybody is showing their raw stages, whereas uh, the internet and a book is a finished product all the time. Even the stages look good. Yeah. So, and I think that for me is always the biggest problem I have. And a lot of the time it is not so much about uh, helping them with their designs or helping them with way forward which is a general thing a lot of the time is helping the students with their confidence mm. because they don't have anything to compare with other than um, what I would call you know experienced artists yes yeah no, I, I know exactly what you mean mm. I think there are lots of pluses to um, to online learning or distance mm. learning however you want to call it um, in that, you know, you don't have to turn up for class if it happens to be a, a miserable, wet, rainy night. Yep. You don't need to do that. You can fit it around the rest of your life if you're ill. Um, but there are also downsides yep. as well. Um, and um, that is some of them. And we do try um, at SSD to, to sort of make up for that as much as we can, either by getting um, them to share them within the uh, the student group. Yep. Um, uh, there's a very active um, Instagram feed as well where people share their work, I know. Um, and it, But it is difficult. You're absolutely right. It's difficult to 100% make up for that. I think sometimes as well the tutor um, has a large part to play in that because often it's that need to bounce off somebody, yeah. you know, to say, this is what I'm thinking. Do you think it's okay? Do yeah. you think it's any good? Do you think it's got legs, I suppose? Will it work for this? I think it's um, because often you see in a class, what I find is when someone says, oh, but that's so much better, that person will then give the other person some feedback mm -hmm. and they'll say, well, I've just done it like this but yours, I like what you've done. And I think that you get that constant positive reinforcement because I think, you know, we're adults now. We don't get the, I don't like yours. <laughs> At least we hope not. Or, yours smells, you know, it's not that playground thing anymore. Well, you hope so, yeah. It's not the playground thing anymore where, you know, I mean, young children are incredibly critical, but I do think that was a, a generational thing because I do find nowadays, the, the younger generation are much more positive about mm. things and they do try to support each other and they're a bit more they reinforce uh, positively quite yeah. a lot so I think that's that's come from an educational awareness so I do think some people <clears throat> feel that the distance learning is the right option for them but then they there are elements of that social interaction that they miss out on and I think that was so apparent uh, during covid yeah, because yeah. some some of the students 
hadn't actually had any social contact with anybody for mm. weeks and months. Mm. And I think a lot of them were at a loss at that stage. And um, yeah. I still think things are picking up after that. So I'm but sure. I think people need people. They need somebody to tell them that, you know, yes, it's good. Yeah. Yes, you can carry on with that. No, I think you should. How about think about this? What do you think? So I think that's that's where your tutor can um, really, really help you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure you're right. I mean, I'm always really pleased when I see work from a student that I know before I've read the name on that student's folio mm. who it's from. Yeah. And the reason that I know that is because it's so definitely them. Mm. They've developed a, a style completely of their own. Um, and, you know, love it or hate it, which I was very rare, yeah. hate it. But either way, you know it's them and it's really distinctive. And yes. that's what we're trying to to um, encourage people to do, to help people to do, to develop their own look, their own style, their own way of doing things, rather than just, I suppose, following along with everyone else's. And I think that's something that um, you do tend to notice in the early stages of the modules, I think, because they, they, a lot of the students don't yet have the confidence in their own work. They do tend to <clears throat> feel that they should, I think, uh, replicate other people's mm. so obviously we get them to look at inspirational artists and that is is teaching them that you can look at uh, works from other people and there are elements in that work that you might be drawn to so look at what it is that you're drawn to and then take from that and then see where you can develop that rather mm. than because I think obviously uh, a lot of the people are used to just following a pattern Yes, absolutely. So that is copy. So they have probably spent, you know, years learning whatever um, mm. craft they're doing using a pattern to produce. So it is that change from here's the pattern, make this. It's that sudden change of, mm. well, you're looking for inspiration. You're looking for design elements. Yeah. Now, how are you going to make this? And very often people will bring in something extremely personal. I mean, I... Um, I can't just bring her name to mind, so my apologies if she ends up listening to this, but I'm sure she'll know who she is. But I, a student that I can think of immediately who was a scientist who brought, uh, who did a lot of her work based on um, DNA um, mm. strings. And uh, it's, it's, it was so personal to her and so mm. distinctive. Yeah. And it's, it's great the way that people can bring other interests in their life and other aspects of their life into their, to their, um, whatever it is, embroidery, patchwork, whatever it might be. But um, I think it's an aspect that sometimes people just don't think of. Students don't even consider, I can make this incredibly personal to myself. Well, I think a, a, a lot of people take crafts as one career stream and then what they do is a, a you know a job or the jobs that they've done in the past because we we aren't all now tied to one specific thing um, they take that as two distinct things whereas you know the combination of a scientist with a craft gives you a whole new um, design development area the same as combining all of the skills that you will have developed over you know just life in general mm. and putting those into it and um, one of the students this week submitted some um a lovely little piece that she had asked every family member to donate a piece of clothing and she, yeah. she didn't you know there was no restrictions on it just donate something 
and then she combined all of the different fabrics together to make one piece mm. and it, it was just beautifully made and beautifully explained yeah. and so personal and and that's it so she's now going to have that piece every time she looks at it she's gonna is it's gonna be it's gonna connect her to the family mm -hmm. no i think I, I i love the way that you can do that within crafts i really mm. do you can make things that are so personal mm. so debbie do you have any tips um for students that help them get the best out of their tutor. I know that you you have a, a session coming up on that, so I'm sure you'll have given it some thought. Yes. But it's that that relationship between the tutor and the student is is really central, isn't it, to, in distance learning. I mean we I know that we you know we we do everything we can to encourage them to speak to others that are studying at the same time. But that is really the central relationship. Um, so do you have any tips on how to get the best out of your tutor? I think actually just turning that sentence around the way that you have has already sort of helped because I think um, we spend lots of time as tutors focusing on how to get the best out of students. Mm. And I think what the students forget is that the interaction is two way. With distance learning, it is it is a longer process to build up a relationship with your tutor. If you go to a class, I mean, you may not instantly bond with your tutor, but the, the relationship will develop and there will become a mutual respect. And I think when you don't see your tutor or you don't speak to your tutor or hear them very often, I think it, you do have to work slightly harder at building up the relationship. So uh, with the introductory emails, that's quite helpful because it gives a chance of a, a two-way conversation starting by email. Mm. And it is about how people approach the email. Often um, some students aren't very uh, well advanced with their technology levels. So encouraging them to make use of email especially does make a difference. But the most important thing I think to do is to remember to ask. I said to the students yesterday, don't sit there because we've all done it. We've all sat there for like two or three days in a temper tantrum <laughs> because we can't get something to work the way we want or we don't have any emotional attachment to it. We don't feel it. I don't know. I don't like the color. You know, there's a million zillion things that can go wrong. But rather than sit there and fume, I always find the best ways to just maybe write down, even if you're writing down to your tutor and you never send it to your tutor, <laughs> but you're writing down um, what your issues are. Now, I did read somewhere once that um, writing is a form of internal narrative and you're the person who overhears what's being said. Mm. So I think when you write something down, it becomes real. Mm. When you're feeling something, whilst it's a real feeling, it, there's an, an element of it not being part of your reality. So writing it down to your tutor, I think, actually helps you to verbalise what the problem is. And often just by writing that information down, your brain will go, oh, I didn't yeah, think of such and such. It's or I haven't followed the process. Yeah. Absolutely, because mm -hmm. the brain has already decided that, oh, hang on, we've got a problem, yeah. rather than the emotions clouding everything. Um, and 
there is nothing wrong at all with you sending an email to your tutor and saying, can you have a look at a couple of these pictures? Or here's something I was playing with, or I saw this, or I haven't, um, I don't really feel that I want to do this. Can I do that is another one. Well, mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. why not? And I, I think often, especially at the start, they're not quite sure where the boundaries are. Yes, no, absolutely. And, uh, we, they are blurred, as we well know. The, the, the subject matter that you're working on has blurred edges. Mm. So using uh, techniques that you're particularly keen on or you've seen a new technique or something and looking at ways to incorporate that into what your output is, then yes, that's fabulous. But I, I think the main thing is to, to build up a dialogue with your tutor as quickly as you can into the course. Because, I mean, I know from experience and from working in colleges, unless you get that relationship built up quite early, then you feel completely separated from the course and you're separated from your work and you then feel separated from the tutor and, and then you don't feel that there's a way to get back because you feel you might have left it too long. Yeah. So, um, and obviously with the... Um, emails that go out you know the how are you emails we do often get quite a lot of responses from those but um i do i do think it, it the students do need to try to be a bit more proactive and um not so shy maybe at the start yeah i, I think i think sometimes perhaps they're worried they're worried about what someone may think of them yeah. for needing to ask for help or um but of course ultimately that's what we're here for um, yes. Without that, we don't really have a function. No. no. <laughs> so Assessing at the end, yeah, is not and the same. So they're really helping us because um, they're keeping us in work. Um, so maybe look at it from that point of view. But also, I, I, I just think, you know, we're, we're not here to judge, we're here to help. No. And that's the, perhaps the most important thing to stress. Um, we, want, we want them to succeed. <laughs> and... Uh, I do think as well that sometimes I'm always very happy to get a, a photo, even if it's a, you know, yeah. not a great photo, mm -hmm. because it gives me a better idea as to what someone's thinking, a visual idea, yes. rather than an email saying, well, I was thinking I'd put green in the back and blue on the front. That's not quite the same, is it? I'm sure no. I, I do feel that uh, something visual is really helpful from both sides. But we have to ourselves visualise what their interpretation of the words are. And of course, yeah. the thing is, as I say to you know, people, everybody interprets things the way that their brains are wired. So I may be interpreting it completely differently to you, which is why, you know, there are misunderstandings about things. Mm. But students um, definitely need to, to remember that we don't read minds. <laughs> no, so, I'd make a fortune. <laughs> I would, yes. If I read minds. Um, yes. Yes, it's just not. So possible. we don't know you're stuck. We don't know that no. you've been sitting in your pyjamas for two days sulking because you can't get the colour right. No. Or you, you know you want to do something. It's in your head, but you can't get it out of your head. Mm. So it is, you know, and, and I think often students seem to, one of the biggest problems I hear is they just feel that they're not creative. And mm. you think, but you're on a creative course. You're clearly creative. Mm, 
but your interpretation of creativity is has been clouded by something i i think as well you know, creativity is quite misunderstood Absolutely. um students i think often when i speak to them they berate themselves because they're not thinking of a fabulous idea immediately but none of us do um i'm not aware of anything that i've ever done that has instantly fallen into place no normally it's it's sort of it's well let's try 10 things and let's hope one of them turns out okay it is a process and i think that's another thing that the students seem to you know they seem to think that um you know, Picasso woke up one morning and went da da da. <laughs> but the whole, the whole of any uh, project is, is, I mean, it is unfortunately lots of hard work. It uh, is time, yeah. effort, and you know, application. Yeah. And that the main output, I think, generally are things that that we won't continue with. And yeah. it's actually quite hard to accept. Students will sometimes say to me, "We haven't wasted all that time." No, it's not a waste of time no. because in that process, you've made a series of decisions about what you know will work, what you think won't, what mm. you like, what you don't. So it's not been a wasted process. But um, have you have you ended up with things that you don't use? Yes, but you've learned from that. Mm. And can you chop up what you've done and turn it into something else? Absolutely. It's often just chopping something up. I mean, I, I've got through quite a lot of fabric making snow globes, but a <laughs> lot of them, you see, I can use, I just recycle the scraps, put them in the scrap box. Yeah. Make yeah. a zipper pouch when I'm going through my, I'll just make a pouch mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so everything can be reused. And, you know, if you do something that doesn't work with that, put it in a cupboard go back to it a lot of um you'll read it on a lot of artists uh, blogs and websites and things that they have gone back to something that they originally started working on 20 years ago yeah yeah and they found it in you know when they were sorting some books out or something and there's a note in there with a little squiggle and they're like oh i'd forgotten about that so you know i i don't think um, I think it's just a case, often it's a case of storage. <laughs> yes, uh, room, yes. yes. Have you got space for that? <laughs> so I know, Debbie, that you, you obviously take um, a number of our group Zoom sessions uh, online to, to help support the, 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 yeah. um, the, uh, the students that we have ongoing with us. Um, and it's, it's, it's a relatively new thing. We've done it mm. perhaps for the last, I don't know, 18 months, two years, yep. something like yep. that. Um, how do you find those work? Could you just give us a little bit of insight into them? Well, a lot of the students are quite terrified. I can see a fear in their <laughs> oh, eyes when they start. Because number one, and we all get hung up on what we look like on Zoom, don't we? <laughs> so uh, you can tinker with your appearance, apparently. But um, generally what happens is I will give them a rough idea of what we're going to do in the session and the sessions just go past so quickly Mm. Uh, it's just like oh we finished but um I try to encourage them now to use the chat box if they're not if because a lot of students don't like the sound of their own voice is another Mm. thing and I think most of us hate the sound of our voice (laughs) so I try to get them to to ask questions or leave comments and things in the chat box as well so Mm. we were discussed like yesterday we were talking about books so uh, we asked them to um, bring along a book if they want to participate 
and I will just say who's who, you know who wants to discuss a book and generally you'll have a couple of the students who are a little bit more confident or have attended before yeah so and and they will start to chat and then there's a dialogue then opens and I think then people they do start to relax a bit and they mm. do feel that you know it's it's okay to have a conversation mm. and it, it's all about sharing little bits of information really so I try to keep the first sort of possibly 45 minutes of the session uh, on the subject matter and then at the end we'll have questions so because often the students just want to see other students or see what the tutors like mm. or um, just participate in something just to see what it's like so they don't always um, participate themselves but I think a lot of them do get quite a lot from just a you know being part of the session and I'll often get emails from students saying I know I didn't speak but I really enjoyed it yes um I, I think that there are, there's an official term for that isn't it do we call them lurkers which sounds I think we do call them lurkers sounds awful though doesn't it, it? Sound it awful. Has, I don't sounds like they're, they're sort of lurking for some nefarious no, no. Uh, yeah but that is actually I think the the the, the accepted term for someone that yeah. doesn't actually contribute but there's there's data to show that they still get a lot out of it I so, did a web webinar the other week and I did not participate in any way because they were far too enthusiastic for that time of the morning as far as I could see <laughs> and but I took notes of everything that was discussed and it was a fabulous little session. Yeah. So I, I think you can gain an awful lot just by lurking. Mm, I, I agree with you. Um, and as I, I know that there's data to show that. Mm. Um, but um, what sort of topics do you do? You, I know that you've mentioned books. We did books. We've done books. We're going to do one on um, getting the most from your tutor. We've done online resources, which it, and search terminology is the other thing. Yesterday, I explained to the students that they are actually textile artists. And as such, that's the term that they have to use or fiber artists, which mm. is, you know, the American term. It is often when they're looking for something on the Internet, it, it's not actually you don't really know what you're looking for and you don't know the words to use. So I think that's one of the things that students struggle with with research. Um, I know we've done one on uh, using PowerPoint uh, mm. as a basic design tool for mm. module two, which has been quite useful. We did one on the process of creativity, which I think actually quite worked quite well because that I think encouraged the students to, to realize that it is not going to be created overnight. It is a process. It is, it is yeah. a process. So mm. you, you will be going through a creative journey and a lot of what you do will be thrown on the wayside. But the important thing to do is just keep going forward. Yeah. Um, I think I in a way think... it's it's actually quite freeing to realise that, isn't it? That oh, you don't yes. have to get very sort of precious about every piece. No. You can just um, design something actually very yeah. quickly. Take a look. Yep. And, oh, do you know, I don't know. I don't like that. Oh, in you know maybe not necessarily in the bin but onto one side onto the next that's quite freeing because it stops you being so concerned about getting everything right well exactly and i i've said to students in the past uh, i have this this method it's called the back of a fag packet <laughs> <laughs> because momentarily you're standing somewhere and i even re distinctly remember an occasion where i was coming back from london on the train and doodling in a book and 
I did exactly what it was I wanted to do. And mm. it was like, well, where has that been? Because I've been looking for that for weeks in my head. Yeah. And it was just because I was obviously relaxed and my brain was working. And I think once students realise that you, you know, there is an element of being able to force creativity by going through the process. It's almost the acceptance that the process also needs to be part of the journey. So you've got to relax a little bit more into the journey mm. so that you're going to allow your brain to process and flow. And there's there's something about it as well. The more stressed you get, the the the, the more um, short of time you become, the less yeah. likely that creativity is is going to be to come to the fore. Sometimes you, I I find I usually do my best work on holiday. <laughs> yes, because you are more relaxed, and your yeah. brain is you're allowing yourself the time to process. I mean, I had a mega wobbly yesterday. I mean, just just the most stupid thing, and I sort of knew I was getting into a wobbly. And it was because I was trying to open a file and I realized I hadn't extracted it from the zip. Mm. But it was only when I had the wobbly and said to my husband, it's just not working. When I verbalized it and he said, well, you did extract the zip. And I went, no, I didn't extract the zip. <laughs> so as soon as I'd said it, I yeah. knew what I had done wrong. And I thought, now I've got myself yeah. into a, a dreadful state and I couldn't focus. And mm -hmm. as soon as you do that, I mean, number one, we all know we're doing it, but then everything becomes incredibly intense and you you, you get to this stage where you think, well, I'm never going to complete this before I die. Yes. Oh, it yes. becomes very dramatic. <laughs> it does indeed. So you're not thinking straight and that is the whole point. You aren't thinking straight. So if, if you're putting mm -hmm. too much pressure on yourself to achieve something that, you know, may not be achievable. Mm. And of course, that, that's not putting pressure on is one of the reasons that we don't actually, because I know students do often ask, do you record the group sessions? Mm. And we don't do that because no. we feel that that places extra pressure on yeah. the people that are actually um, coming along to participate. That, um, you know, if they feel that there might be hundreds of people watching them at a later date, it's a bit off-putting. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I also think that, uh, you know, it, it's they might share something within that session yeah. that they might not necessarily want yeah. to go outside that group. So Absolutely. I know while it would be interesting, I'm sure from other people's points of view to, what, to watch it at a later date, but but that's why we don't actually do it. And I think also it, it can be quite um, restrictive for the tutor as well, because obviously, you know, when you're teaching, you're always very conscious of what you're saying and how it's going to be perceived. And I, I think just adding that extra dynamic of knowing that it's going to be shared, I think then becomes... yeah. Ooh. A little bit, yeah. A little yeah. bit, sort of. It puts us, puts us. Uh, yeah. I Should I say that? <laughs> quite natural. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not so, and I, I, I just don't think it's so relaxed. I, you don't get that flow of conversation. No, no, I don't think you do. I mean, it it does, of course, keep us on our toes from the point of view that we have oh, to how we have to do um, the sessions at different times and on different mm. days, so that we hope that we can sort of give everyone an opportunity. Um, whether they be from the UK or from abroad. Yes, yeah, that is, I think that is one of the difficulties because we do have quite a lot of international students and yeah. it is difficult trying to um, fit everything around timings. Yeah, yeah, no, it, 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 it certainly is. I think, I think we do. I think we do. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, okay. we offered the chance to, yeah. yeah. We could always finish this session by giving ourselves a little pat on the back. Could we? we? That'll be good. <laughs> <laughs>
Debbie, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure today to have this um, chat with you. Um, thank you. I, I probably should fess up that this is actually... Well, we chat quite regularly, don't we? But we do. This yes. is the second time we've had this chat because somebody <laughs> mucked up the recording the first time, um, which would be me. So um, it's. I thought we were going to be repetitive, but actually I think we've talked about lots of oh, other gosh. things. Yes, and I think that's the scary thing. When you said to me we're going to do it again, I'm like, oh, you're going Ooh. to ask me different questions. Oh, you're going to get different answers. Mm. <laughs> because <laughs> things change, don't they? And what, what's, you know, at the top of your mind one day is not at the top of your mind the next day. No, but it, it has. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you.